This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Everybody to the politics, politics, politics program for Friday, August twentieth, twenty twenty two. It's your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you back home in Austin, fresh off the plane from Wyoming, the Cowboy State. What a charming hamlet Cheyenne is, but be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. All triple digits of it. We've got some great. Great content for you. First and foremost, it looks like the CDC is saying we screwed up and we're going to do better. Great to hear now, (laughs) you know, at any moment through the last three years would have been great. What are they pointing out needs to change and how are they going to do it? We will tell you in a moment. We have some evolution on the future of Liz Cheney. You know, this is one of them that that I, I I woke up after a you know covering the election, and I was like, was I too hard on Liz? Because by the end of that episode, I was I was very frustrated with the commentary around it, and I was very frustrated watching some of the twenty four hour news channels, and and they were covering it like she won, they were covering it. Like this was a big, important moment in political history and not just a loser politician losing a race she could have been at least competitive in and instead gave up, but gave up for the right reasons, quote unquote. And then I thought about it more and I was like, okay, well, maybe... Maybe I'm looking at it in the wrong way and and, and maybe, you know, this is something that I should have more nuance on. I thought about it. And I've come to the conclusion that I was absolutely right from the first moment that I said anything. And this piece of news has only made me more stringent in my resolve that Liz Cheney is uh, she's an annoying politician and 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 she's frustrated me. I'm going to take out more of my frustration because we now know she is going to launch a political action committee. A political action committee that is named after. A Lincoln quote. Some might call it a Lincoln project that she is going to uh, uh, use because it has the same model as the Lincoln project. Whatever. We'll get to it in a second. And also all of this travel, not only to Wyoming, but also before that, I was in Vegas to help with uh, uh, DEF CON means that I could not book a guest for today. However, it does mean that for many of you, you get to hear two friendly voices that you have not heard in a little bit. We're going to play an excerpt from this week's episode of We're Not Wrong, featuring myself, Jen Briney, and Andrew Heaton. It's going to be pretty good. You know, there used to be times where that would just be the end. And so now here we go. We're not wrong. We're going to play a clip from that at the end of this episode. Burn. 
The CDC is pledging to restructure in the wake of its COVID review. Ah, CDC. In April, they initiated a review. They said, how did we handle COVID? They brought somebody in. The answer, not great, Bob. We quote now from an article in The Hill. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Rachel Waletsky said Wednesday that the agency did not reliably meet expectations and would overhaul its operations after an external review found shortcomings in its COVID-19 response. The review comes after the CDC faced heavy criticisms for its stumble both in the early days in the pandemic and more recently with critics pointing to confusing guidance and slow responses. So I'm just going to do this acapella because I've been very frustrated with the CDC for a very long time through the earliest stages of this pandemic. And these are just the greatest hits that I can recite off the top of my dome. First, they botched the, the, the testing. They did not allow private companies to make tests. They wanted to make their own test. And in the process of making that test, they screwed it up. They set back American test deploy by months at a time when a lot of people were dying from COVID-19. Fairly unforgivable. Then, as we were making our way through the vaccination process, they have consistently been behind the times in terms of what should be allowed and how effective everything is. Then, during the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, they stopped the uh, allowance of of the the J&J vaccine for fairly small reasons. At at an early time during the vaccine rollout, when belief that the vaccine was safe and effective was something that was very, very, very important. They then just turned the faucet back on, by the way. And then finally, there's their hokey-pokey dance on exactly what should be happening in terms of mask mandates and what should be happening in terms of isolation. The CDC is never going to be a popular organization. They're always going to be making decisions and offering guidance that might be beyond the personal risk tolerance of some of the great citizens of the United States of America. But what is important is that they are competent. And one of the things that I'm heartened by in this review is this. The CDC has historically, and I do believe is today, still an amazing resource for academic study of disease. In 10 years, they're going to be the best in terms of understanding exactly what COVID is, how it worked, and how we can best mitigate it. What they are not and have proven themselves to not be is a field general during a crisis. And one of the things that the CDC is pledging to do going forward is to offer more plain language and marked incomplete knowledge that might better give American citizens and really truly global citizens a better understanding of the diseases we are facing. Because when we hold things back, when we wait and wait and wait until they are sure, at least by CDC standards, that they have dotted every I and crossed every T, 
in a crisis, you're not really helping people. And then when you publish a lot of this stuff and, and everybody's got to wait to see their smart friends do a tweet thread so they can understand what the hell it says, that doesn't really help the average person anyway. And so what they want to do is revamp their website. They want to put the plain language stuff up front. They want to put a lot of the academic stuff in the back, still make it available. But, you know, the, the, the CDC truly, the website could have been a, a, a redirect to a notepad app for the vast majority of, of this pandemic. Symptoms isolation guidance and a link to see if you can get vaccinated. Like that's, that's, that's pretty much what we needed out of them. And I think we often got precious, uh, you know, too little, too late. That being said, this is good news. And, and, and as much as I've been frustrated with the CDC, I do want to applaud them here because they know that they needed to reform. They are now reforming. That is good. And hopefully, this will be among the last times that I talk about the CDC as an organization on a politics podcast. The only reason why we started doing this is because during the pandemic, that affected everything. You know, everything that came out of the CDC had some sort of political context because COVID was such a gigantic story. And Considering I have either been at or around three conferences in the last two months, I feel like a lot of the mitigation guidance and the understanding that this is an endemic virus is something that we now, sadly, have woven into our society. But life goes on. The CDC isn't an inherently political organization. And so with any luck, this will be the last time in a while you hear those initials on this program. I'll keep this one short because I've been gushing in the ads over the last few weeks. Thank you again for sending me out to Wyoming. We are now done with our primary coverage. No more primary coverage which means we got to start thinking about our general coverage. So wherever you guys would like for me to go, what are the hot races? Probably some of the places that we went to for, for the primaries. We still weren't able to see Dr. Oz and Doug Mastery, uh, Dr. Oz and, and John Fetterman. We went to PA, might have to go back to PA. Might have to see Raphael Warnock and, and Herschel Walker back in Georgia. But it's up to you guys. Send me what you believe should be my general coverage schedule. Send me your thoughts at Justin R. Young at px3tweets or send me an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. And if you believe that this kind of coverage is important, then you can head on over to our Patreon. Patreon is a service where you give me money. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you get to ours. There you can get two bonus episodes each and every week. Even when I'm on the road, by the way. No matter where I am. Did uh, the the Thursday and the Sunday shows from Vegas. We doing this one, uh, these ones uh, from back home in Austin. But no matter what, they always get out to you guys. 
Uh, that's at the $3 level. $10 level gets you that and your name right at the end of the show. So go ahead. Send me where you think I should be going this fall to cover the races. And support it financially by going to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. We got a scoop from Politico. Cheney's plans post-defeat. It's going to be a group. Here we go. The new group will serve as Cheney's primary political vehicle as she considers whether to run for president in 2024. The group does not have an official name yet, but an informed guest, The Great Task which was the name of Cheney's final ad of her campaign and the phrase from the last sentence of the Gettysburg Address. Cheney also referenced it during her concession speech from Jackson, Wyoming on Tuesday night. So prepare your emails, Cheney heads, because you are going to be getting a lot, a lot of emails from the great task. And they're going to have subject lines like uh, 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 he must be stopped. And uh, 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 did you see what Trump said? And isn't Trump a, a awful person? Uh, retweet if you agree, even though it's an email, it's going to be those kind of things. And this will effectively be yet another organization that is going to exist for the almost sole purpose of monetizing Donald Trump anger. So if you are angry about Donald Trump, and I want you to search yourself in your soul, are you angry about Donald Trump? Then you are the target demographic for Liz Cheney's brand new political action committee. She wants you to chip in $5. We go back to Politico. Cheney's campaign filed paperwork early Monday, converting her campaign committee to a leadership pack and renaming it The Great Task. The move will allow Cheney to continue raising money and potentially distribute it to like-minded candidates in the near term while she hashes out a longer-term strategy. I mean, like, we know how this goes, right? She's going to stay politically active. She's going to release a bunch of uh, 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 Donald Trump is the worst ads on the internet. She's going to drum up a bunch of money. My mom's probably going to donate. Hi, Mom, if you're listening, get ready. Get your credit card ready. Liz Cheney wants it. And then she's going to run for president. And to be honest, I, I think post-FBI raid, the Republican primary might not quite be as populated as I once thought. You know, the Howleys and the Ted Cruz's and the DeSantis's. I mean, we still got a lot of time. We still got, you know, about eight months until people for real, for real, for real are going to start jumping into this race. But if this FBI thing continues to drag out, Donald Trump is again the center of the political universe on the GOP side. And I, I don't know if at least DeSantis gets in, because if, if DeSantis gets in, that's going to be the permission for a lot of folks. Right now, I would see the, 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 the GOP primary being Trump, 
Cheney, Pence. Maybe Youngkin. You know, which I think Trump, you know, those are three Trump speed bumps, basically. The only real Godzilla versus Mothra is DeSantis. And DeSantis, by the way, out on the campaign trail, campaigning for J.D. Vance and Doug Mastriano and uh, uh, Blake Masters in, in, in Arizona. Mastriano, of course, in, uh, in Pennsylvania. But we know what's happening. We know what's going on. It's not a, you know, there's no longer term strategy for, for Liz Cheney. And I'm glad. I'm glad that she's going to end up here. I'm glad that she is going to have a Lincoln project. Because it, it's exactly where she needs to be. She's going to be talking to the only people for whom really, really, really care about her. Uh, die hard, never Trumpers who believe throwing money in an internet hole makes Trump go away despite every sign to the contrary. That the more that you bring Trump to the forefront, the more powerful he gets. You know, we I wrote a, a column on the Substack last week about Alex Jones. That how in our in our modern internet world to mention the devil's name is to worship him. And so in that, Liz Cheney's kind of a vassal to Trump. She's certainly in the Trump business. She is a subsidiary of of of, of Trump Inc. You know. Maybe a licensee. Probably a licensee. You know, she is she is in the ecosystem of making money because Donald Trump is famous. Which, considering the fact that she apparently has next to no actual political skill, well, you know, could be worse places for her. Back in the day, we used to have periodic episodes of this show that I, I like to call the political trifecta. A power trio of independent political voices that would talk about the issues of the last few weeks since we last chatted. Myself, Andrew Heaton, and Jen Briney. Those are no more. Because it has been spun off into its own program. It is called We're Not Wrong. If you are not subscribed to it, I would highly recommend that you subscribe to it. It has begun to find its legs. It is, it is getting a bit of a, uh, a, a flavor of its own, and I'm very much enjoying it. So I'm going to bring you a segment from this week's episode. Enjoy. Uh, let's start with whether or not either of you are going to see any Russians before you leave the friendly confines of Europe. Uh, thousands of Russians have flocked to Europe on short-term visas since the country invaded Ukraine. Some obviously sought an escape from repression, while the normal migration of summer Russian tourists have also been part of it. Now some European politicians are calling for an end to the short-term visas that allow Russians uh, to holiday in the, uh, the European Union as the war in Ukraine rages on. Countries including Ukraine, obviously, Estonia, Latvia, Finland, and the Czech Republic have called for the EU to limit or block short-term Schengen visas 
from Russia in protest of their country's invasion, which is now six months on. Stop issuing tourist visas to Russian was the Estonian prime minister's tweet last week. Uh, He added visiting hashtag Europe is a privilege and not a human right. This has met with pushback from German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who rejected the call saying a blanket ban on visas for Russians was hard to imagine. Uh, Jen, this was the topic that you wanted to talk about. Uh, uh, so my question to you is, Are is the West running out of, of ways to punish Russia? Like, because this feels like some, some kind of bottom of the barrel stuff. Yeah, this does feel pretty extreme. And it's been fascinating to be here this summer and to watch it gain momentum. Um, I just want to take a quick second, though, just to explain, because I know not everyone understands what Schengen is. Even though we have these five countries that you listed, thank you for doing that, that are really pushing for a ban on Russian tourists. The Schengen area is pretty much all of Europe. And so what they are asking to do is to ban Russians from pretty much all of Europe for tourism reasons. So, you know, because they have this Schengen area, like um, I believe it's Estonia, they decided that they're not going to let Russians enter. But the Russians, because it's a borderless place, once you get into Schengen, they can pretty much go wherever they want, you know? That's why I was able to visit you guys in Germany and like no one even checked my passport because I was just in Schengen. So um, that's the significance of what they're asking to do. They're basically trying to block Russians from half the continent. And I first heard about this actually with you guys, with our surprise Ukrainian guest, Tanya. And I don't know, I don't remember Mm -hmm. if it was on the air or off, but she was the first one that I heard advocate for this quite passionately and she's still advocating for it on her Instagram stories. And I kind of understand it from a Ukrainian's perspective that you want to punish the people that are doing this to you. But it's been disturbing to me to watch the governments then get on board with this idea. And I feel like it would be so counterproductive to do. My goal with all of my discussions of this, if I'm advocating for anything, it's to end the war as fast as possible. I do think the Russian people have a role to play in that. And so the strategy with this is punish the Russian people and that will make them want to overthrow Putin and stop the war. That's kind of the theory behind it, where I personally am an example of being able to travel, being what makes someone clue into what their government is doing. So what I mean is in 2003, I was a dumb kid. I was 20. I was traveling in Europe and we started a war. I had voted for George W. Bush in my first election. I didn't care about politics. I was team Republican, the end. But then I, the day we started the war, I was in Rome at the Colosseum with a few of my friends, completely oblivious to everything going on around us. And in between us and our hotel, there were a million people that showed up to protest our country and the war that we were starting. We were literally trapped in the middle of a million people. And I had no choice. But for like three or four hours, we just watched it. And so I saw banners with pictures comparing my president to Hitler. I heard the chants, a lot of them in English, um, against the war, against the U.S., And then when we tried to go out that night, the bartenders or the bouncers wouldn't let us into the bars and the restaurants for our own safety. So that 
is such a pivotal moment in my life and made me go, oh, my God, the world is not behind my country, because in the American bubble, we were told that the world wanted Saddam Hussein gone. We were told that we were making the world safer. So it wasn't until I physically left and came to Europe where I went, oh, wait, I'm being lied to. Which tells me that if Russians are coming here and seeing the same things I'm seeing, which is Ukraine flags everywhere. And I saw another concert yesterday where they were raising money for Ukrainians. I haven't seen a single Russian flag. I haven't seen anything supporting the Russians whatsoever. If a Russian tourist was to come here and see all the support for Ukraine and to get into the uncomfortable conversations that they're inevitably going to have out here, you know, when they meet people, that is something they can take back to their country and go, the world is not with us. We're being lied to. But if we keep them in Russia, if we prevent them from going other places, the only person that they're going to hear from is Vladimir Putin. So I think it's so counterproductive. And I just wanted to put that out there. It's a policy that I I don't support in any way. And I wish we would advocate for us to stop it. <laughs> I, I, I want to go back to your story there. Uh, a stunning element of sacrifice for the Italians back in the early aughts that they were so angry about the Iraq war, they would deny themselves the ability to bang American college students abroad. <laughs> Heaton, uh, how much do you think uh, the the people of Russia can even affect this? It, it, it's not as if, uh, uh, you know, we we get a sense from the the Russian culture, at least that makes it over to our shores, that that this is necessarily anything that that a, a pivot point through through popular revolt would have much of a, a an immediate effect. I mean, maybe a long term one. But do you think that this is a, a pressure point that can be can be hit? No, I don't. I, I think that if you're going to do pressure points, targeted sanctions might work. And, and they make sense to me. If you're targeting people that are higher ups in the the Kremlin and the Russian defense ministry, that makes sense. And I would say those people are also morally culpable, justified targets of Western governmental rage and sanctions. Makes sense. And you might piss them off. And if you piss off enough of those people and you piss off enough oligarch billionaires, they might whack uh, Vladimir Putin, and let us all hope that man is Tchescu'd by the end of his life. Uh, and and that might do something. But having people like not go to Euro Disney, ha- having having just regular Russians who have zero say on the government and, and are unable to actually truly vote or, or have their influence heard in the same meaningful ways that we do, I, I don't think that that will have any effect. And I think much to Jen's point would be, in fact, very counterproductive. We, we want, I, I want people from autocratic regimes to spend time in the West. I think that's great. Here in Edinburgh, I was talking to some people the other day, and they, they, were, slightly, they were slightly worried about uh, the very large amount of uh, students that come to, to the, my alma mater um, from China and I was like, that's great. So the Chinese are, are giving money to the university and they get to spend time here and they get exposed to the West and, and maybe they'll take some of our ideas of freedom and liberty and bring it back. Like, that's good. Wonderful. I would love for more people to come over. That sounds terrific to me. Uh, with, with the Russians, I think that that's absolutely true. And I'll go a step further from a, an ideological perspective. I think Jen nailed it pragmatically. It's much better to have free flow of information and exposure between peoples uh, and, and more sources of information. But from an ideological perspective, countries don't go to war. Governments go to war. 
Governments go to war with each other. People don't tend to go to war with each other. I don't have any problem with some dude in Yemen right now. I've not met him. I don't know him. I, I have nothing to do with that. Um, the, the American people don't go to war with other other peoples, but our government frequently bombs them. And in the same way, um, I'm sure that there are a lot of crappy Russians that are like, yeah, go Russia. Let's let's Ukraine and that's deplorable and awful. But there's also probably a bunch of Russians that recognize that Vladimir Putin's a piece of and an autocrat and that Ukrainians are their neighbors and their cousins. and They want nothing to do with this business. And I don't I don't hold them morally accountable for that. And I'm very I am very suspicious of the concept of collective guilt. I think that that oftentimes runs into really, really bad oppression. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to lean into it at any point. Um, I think that's a good point, because when you talk about culpability, comparing my situation to the Russians, I'm from a democracy. Right. So I had a hand. I directly helped elect George W. Bush. I voted for the. So in a way, if you're going to punish the people for what their government does, it makes more sense to punish people like us. We're in democracies where our whole line on Vladimir Putin, I've never been to Russia, so I don't really know, but we keep saying he's a dictator and that he controls everything there. He controls the media. He controls the people. So to then say that the people are responsible for what their dictator does I have a lot of problems with that, too, because in a lot of ways, they are victims as well. And I guess this gets back to my first point, which is when the war started, we leveled economic sanctions and then that wasn't enough or, you know, working in, 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 in the way that we wanted to. So it expanded. And now it's like, OK, well, we always talk about the oligarchs and we understand that the oligarchs are very powerful in Russia. So let's seize, you know, their uh, business money. And then let's let's deny them from doing business in the West. Then it's let's let's seize their personal money and and let's let's seize any kind of property they have in in the West. And all of that, as far as I can, you know, and I'm very uneducated on on you know these kinds of international relations and how to pressure Russia. But that happened five and a half months ago. And so now when we're talking about let's let's stop the 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 tourists from going to the the beaches. In Europe, while the weather's nice, it, it it seems to me that that's the bottom of the deck. I, I don't know how much lower we can target if if now we're at the 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 tourists, which raises a more troubling question. If you're anti, uh, uh you know, intervention here between uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine, which is is this? Are, are we just powerless? Is the West powerless to to end this? Maybe. I mean, I think a lot of this is exposed that we're we're a declining power, that the West and Europe don't have the power we thought we did. And this is bringing Russia and China closer together. So big picture, that is something that I think we have to acknowledge as Americans. Our government is not acknowledging that we are not the lone superpower in the world anymore. And so the idea that we can punish. Well, leave leave us out of this one. We're not out of this one. This is the EU. This is the EU. Like mm -mm. we could we can take L's all day long. We're all on the same side. Like your question was. Yeah, but we're not talking about banning uh, Russians from visiting America. We're talking about banning Russians from visiting the EU. But the idea that we're at the point of banning Russian citizens from traveling does speak to the idea that the sanctions put in place by the EU and by the United States are yes, not yes. working. And so our financial pressure that we thought was going to be so overwhelming, or at least the elites thought was going to be so overwhelming is clearly not working. And I think short of actually getting into this war, 
I don't know what else there is left to do, which is why I always go back to it's time to go to negotiate the end of this because we're not willing to get into this. What they're trying to do, economic war isn't working and punishing Russian citizens is only going to make them hate us. So um, it all leads back to the same conclusion for me, which is that this isn't let's going get, well for let's us. Let's mobilize boots on the ground. <laughs> this is the only the only option left. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, wait. So so a, a few points to this, Justin. To, to your earlier point, Justin, of um, you know how how effective is this going to be at, at stopping them? I don't think that's really what's going on. Sanctions are sometimes used to affect change, but most of the time, I'll argue, sanctions are meant to signal to Democratic voters that you hate the things they hate. They're they're mostly a, a, a signaling mechanism from the elite to the base, not not an actual effective method to counter governments we don't like. So I suspect, in the case of our Estonian friends, that's very likely what's going on. And there's lots of Lots and lots and lots of historical baggage between uh, the the governments of Estonia and the governments of, of Russia. Um, I don't. I like. I, I'm hesitant to say that we're like a defunct superpower because I I shout so much about the massive spending of the military industrial complex all the time. So I'm I'm hesitant to say that we we're spending way too much money maintaining our empire and then claim that we're a defunct power at the same time. I think we're rather overextended and and, and in fact we are more of a superpower than we need to be. And a pretty good example of this is how ineffective Russia has been at being able to subdue Ukraine. When this first started, I thought I literally thought it was going to be over in a week, and that has not been the case. Uh, and and I look at that and go, well, if 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 Russia is invading. Ukraine and and they're very feeble at their ability to pull this off so far. That tells me that I don't need to be that worried about Russia as an American with two moats on either side of our country, that perhaps we could even scale back our military operations. We could scale back some of our defense funding and probably be just as safe as we are now. But they're not using all their weapons again. Like they're not, they're not using the most powerful weapons that they have. The Russians have more in their arsenal. And I think you have a good point that we are spending so much money trying to maintain this empire. And we are told year after year that we need tens of billions dollars of tens of billions of dollars more every year to go towards the military to continue to maintain this empire. And it's still not working. We still have Russia and China getting closer together. And we have, you know, Russia's economic, this new Silk Road and the Belt and Road and all this stuff. We're going backwards. We're not being we're not using this money to maintain an empire and getting stronger. We're spending all this money and it's still going the other way. And so I look at like, yeah, Russia wasn't able to take over Ukraine, but this war is still going on with no end in sight. So. Yeah, I think I think this speaks to our diminishing power. I really do. And by, by we 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 is the West here. We, but also specifically the United States, the West doesn't patrol the entire world like we do. It's us. Wait, wait. So hold on. I, I would like both of your assistance in helping, helping me to kind of fi- figure this out. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to argue with anybody here. I'm conflicted here in my assessment of what's going on in Ukraine with Russia. When Russia invaded Ukraine, I thought, I've played risk. I know what happens when a really big country invades a small country, and that is you roll the dice a couple of times, but they inevitably take it over. Um, That has not been the case. Um, I thought it was going to be knocked out. I mean, like, are are we at the point now where it's possible Ukraine is going to be able to knock the Russians out and take their territory back? Uh, Because that would seem to change the equation a little bit from what I initially thought. Yeah, the the question, as I understand it, is, you know, 
take their territory back, what territory? How much of the territory? And and what what the 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 phase we have yet to see is in the area for which is either disputed or held by Russia. Can they run whatever form of popular referendum that uh, uh, amongst those people run whatever they they say and say, oh well. The people have spoken. Now they're Russian, and and that then becomes some part of a a, a negotiation between uh you know those those parties. So I, I think what has been at least from all the stuff that I've read about it proven is that you know Russia has I think the third largest military in the world, uh, and it did not acquit itself particularly well in this case, because they came heavier than, than a lot of people were thinking and they weren't able to topple Kiev, which they obviously wanted to. But beyond that, uh, uh, I don't think that this ends clean. I don't think that this ends at this point with either Russia toppling the, the, uh, uh Zelensky government or the, the, uh, uh, Ukrainian forces pushing Russia back beyond the border that existed six months ago. I, I, I guess the, the big question for me is, are we, is this a situation where, American funding as we've been doing and American weapon systems as we've been providing are giving the Ukrainians a fighting chance to repel a fascist regime from invading, which sounds good to me, or are we just dragging out the conflict and and prolonging it and prolonging the death, which would be a bad thing to do, right? So that's that's what I'm trying to figure out is if we're giving if we give aid uh, military and funding wise, is that apt to help our friends in Ukraine push out the Russians? Great. Or is it just going to drag the war out and mean more corpses and destroyed cities? Well, that's what our government, if you listen closely, has been saying that that's kind of the goal is to drag this out and drain Russia of its resources, of its soldiers, of its money, of its military equipment. They want this to continue. So I'm going to take them at their word at that. And I also think that when we look at what happened, that the way Russia was not able to take over Kiev. I think looking at it as a big country trying to take over a little country is not exactly accurate here because since 2014, it was our military that built the Ukrainian military. So they were trained by us. They were equipped by us. They were funded by us. Like this is not some ragtag group of soldiers that were fighting back with, you know, Molotov cocktails, despite all of the stuff we saw on TV right in the beginning in Kiev. This is a well-funded, well-armed, well-trained military, and they held their own. But are they gonna gonna be able to take that territory back? Well, based on the last couple months, where they're, you know, the the fighting line is going back and forth over the course of a couple of miles, like we seem to be at a stalemate here. So the idea that Ukraine, without us physically getting involved, is going to be able to take back all the territory, including Crimea, which has pretty much been Russian since 2014. I think it's an unrealistic goal, but if they make that the goal, then that is how this war continues. And the strategy of making it continue for as long as is needed to drain Russia, that's how you further that. You have unrealistic, unachievable goals and it will drag on. So that's what I think is happening here. And I'm not proud to be a part of it, but that's what we seem to be fighting for. So then, Jen, the, the the better thing for us to be advocating then would to be to say, look, Ukraine's not going to get you, you, Crimea back. It's probably not going to get the Donbass back, um, but it's been able to hold the line at X place. So let's push for that being the negotiated settlement and try to end this. That would that would be the better thing to do. 
I think so. I mean, the Minsk agreement in 2015 said there should be a level of autonomy for the Donbass region. We can go right back to that and try to achieve that. Unfortunately, there's been so much destruction in between, but we can either do that or we can accept the reality that Ukraine's probably never going to be a part of NATO and say that Ukraine in general is going to remain a neutral country and that, you know, our side will stop trying to topple the government if it chooses to partner with Russia. And I don't I just feel like both sides, the West and the Russians have been meddling in the Ukraine government and trying to control it. I think there needs to be true neutrality. There has to be a buffer between Russia and NATO. And Ukraine seems to be a good place to find that buffer. And the sooner we find that line and establish that line of neutrality, that's when the people stop dying. And that's what I think we need to be pushing for. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Show is edited by Brett Stewart. You can email the program, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live. Our newsletter is px3newsletter.com. And our podcast that you can share with your friends, family, and clergy member is px3podcast.com. You can find our merch at politicsmerch.com. Before we get any further, I want to let everybody know that your boy, Justin Robert Young, will be on Washington Journal on the mothership C-SPAN this Saturday early in the morning. I believe it is 9.15 in the morning. I will be on. They have a podcast segment. I'm coming in via Zoom. It is it is uh, an, an honor and a privilege to be on uh, a C-SPAN. What, a, what an amazing tiger, tiger stripe of political nerddom for your boy. So go ahead and tune into that. Meanwhile, if you'd like to support us financially, you can do so. PayPal.me slash payjury for a one-time payment. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And anything you'd like to send me in the mail is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course... The only way that you can get bonus content from me is by going to our Patreon, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. MC Radio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yield, Pinball Shop. DB4 Bongo, Neemeister, Catherine, Vigar, Todd, persons familiar with the matter. Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, Idris, uh, Arslandian, Blue Front, and the Lenina. DL. Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana, Shrill, Shrieks, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard D. Laser, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted, Utah, Utah Jimmy Montana, the Jen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Josh. Ooh-ah. Josh, ooh-ah. My brain is fried. It's leaking out of my ears. Been a long week. <laughs> but don't worry. We'll be rested, tanned, and relaxed 
for our Sunday, Sunday, Sunday program if you are a $3 patron. And otherwise, I will see you next Wednesday. Till then, is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.